Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Well, thank you, David, so much uh, for your welcome. It's lovely to be here with you in Fernie Hill uh, as you are in exile uh, from your building. I hear it's going well, uh, and you'll be looking forward to getting back into it uh, soon. Uh, We went through a similar thing. I was chatting to David earlier at Bellevue. Uh, We managed to move back into ours just before lockdown, so brilliant planning uh, there. Uh, But we pray, don't we, when we put a new building together, that God would use it to strengthen us as a church family, but that importantly, it will be a thing, a resource that God will allow us to use to reach out to people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I hope you're looking forward to getting uh, back in. But what else are you looking forward to? Perhaps some of you, as you are uh, watching the nights dim, as the marketeers' emails come through, and as sure as anything, the John Lewis advert will come on telly shortly, you'll start thinking about Christmas, maybe presents and trees and gathering together with families and friends. Maybe some of us have our eyes fixed a little bit further ahead, and it's the Christmas hol- the summer holidays in 2023. And you know that no matter how pear-shaped life goes, how rough the weeks go, that come next summer, you'll be sitting getting burnt on a beach somewhere in the Med, or you're in Scotland praying it doesn't rain. We all look forward to things, don't we? What's ahead? But sometimes what's ahead is hard, isn't it? 
Sometimes difficulties come into our lives and we wonder what it is that's going to get us through the other side. Illness, bereavement, difficulties at work, struggles in our families, financial worries. There's no shortage, is there, of things that cause trouble in our lives. And as we pass through these things, what is it that is sustaining us as we go through them? And what is our hope for the future? For the Christian, the hope that sustains us is our firm belief that the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is coming back. When Jesus returns, everything that God has promised us in the Lord Jesus Christ will be completed. All things will finally be brought under the Lord Jesus' control. All the things that have gone wrong will be put right in Jesus. And this world, so beautiful, yet so broken, will be made new. And all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will share in a bodily resurrection. Are you looking forward to that? I turned 50 this year. And boy, I can tell you there's more aches and pains than was 40. I'm not looking at what's ahead. Our bodies will be made new. No longer full of aches and pains. No longer riddled with cancer. No longer succumbing in our organs of heart and lungs to be ravaged by disease. Our bodies will be transformed in a glorious resurrection body. Our bodies will never age. They'll never wear out. They'll never fail. Can you imagine what that'll be like? (laughs) And the sin that so damages our life and so damages our world will finally be ended. Our own constant failures Our giving in to temptation will also come to an end. For finally we will obey the Lord perfectly. But trumping all of these wonderful things. When Jesus comes we will finally reach the goal of our faith. We'll be with him. We'll see him face to face. And we will finally and fully know Christ. And be with our Lord forever. That's ahead for all of us who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But of course, we're not there yet, are we? It's still to come. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Philippi, and they are going through difficulties. They are suffering, and life is very hard. And we know from our own experience that when we go through trouble, when we go through difficulty, it is disorientating. We can lose our bearings. So as Paul writes, he is concerned as the Philippians are going through all of this, that somehow they might have lost sight of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, that somehow they were in danger of taking their eyes off the true north of the Christian faith, that in the midst of their suffering, they were in danger of forgetting the wonderful truth of the resurrection and the return of Jesus that helps orientate Christians in times of suffering. So I wonder how we are this morning and where we are as we come to church. What's life like? Are we going through and passing through suffering? Is it possible that in the midst of what we're going through and the difficulties that we've taken our eyes off the north star of our faith? The promised return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But for some of us here this morning, maybe it's not pain that's taking our eyes off that. It's pleasure. 
It's the fact that we're so comfortable with this world. Life is so good and we've got everything we need. What do we need heaven for? There's a danger that we've forgotten that our lives are to be lived with this future focus and this great end in mind. So with all of that in view, I'd like to look at this passage under three sections. Verses 12 to 14, pressing on towards the goal. Verses 15 to 19, living up to what we've already attained. And verse 20 to 21, eagerly awaiting Jesus. Firstly then, pressing on toward the goal in verses 12 to 14. I recently watched an incredible Netflix film about skyrunners. These are people that run huge distances. And you know what? They don't just run huge distances. They run them up mountains. I know. What are you thinking? Hey? And it followed one particular Spanish runner called Killian Journey and his attempt to break the timed records for Mont Blanc, the Matterhorn and Mount Elbrus. Those are big mountains for those of you that don't know. There's a clear goal. He's got to get up and down the mountain in the quickest possible time. But to get to his goal, he had to go through some difficult and challenging terrain. And most of all, to reach his goal, he had to keep running. Paul, in writing to the Philippians in in this chapter, in these particular verses, uses the metaphor and language of running to encourage them as they passed through challenging terrain, as they went through difficult times. And he encourages them in the midst of this, keep going, keep running towards your goal. But Paul begins in verse 12, By acknowledging the tension that exists in our Christian life. You see, if we're Christians, we've come to know Jesus. And that is wonderful. And knowing Jesus has already given us so much in our lives. Yet there are aspects of our salvation which we have to wait for. Which will only be ours when Jesus returns. In the language of the theologians, our faith is both already. We already have so much. But it's not yet. And we live in the tension between these things, the wonder of all that God's done for us in Jesus and all that he's promised us and all that he's doing in his life through his Holy Spirit. But there's more to come. And we are stuck in the middle in the tension. Paul has just finished writing in the verses that you studied a couple of weeks ago about the surpassing greatness of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. But he writes in verse 12, not that I've already attained this or have already reached my goal. Again, in verse 14, he writes, I do not yet consider myself to have taken hold of it. We already have so much in Jesus, but we're not there yet. But the fact that there's more to come, that we can look ahead, that we can see it, that it's promised to us, that it's already ours in Jesus. The truth of what's to come should transform our lives now. This what is to come should energize us and encourage us as we go through difficulties. Paul speaks of a singular focus that should be driving our lives. And as I said, the language he uses all from running. So we're going to have a quick run through these verses and pick up all the words that talk about running. So strap on your shoes, lace them up, or put your Velcro across, depending how you like to run, and let's get on. Twice in verses 12 to 14, Paul speaks about pressing on. The original meaning of this word means to run swiftly, trying to catch something. 
You get the picture? You're running after it. You watch a ch- I remember watching children when I was younger, my children younger up at Craigie's Farm, trying to catch chickens. I don't think they were supposed to do that. I think they were supposed to be on the other side of things. But they're running and running, and they won't give up until they catch the thing. That's the idea. We're to keep running, to try and catch this thing. Twice in verses 12 and 13, Paul uses the phrase, take hold. That's the language of finally getting your hand on the prize of victory. To switch metaphors, it's like at the football match, when eventually the cup's been won and everyone lifts it up. Or to switch to rugby, I remember that Calcutta Cup moment when we actually broke it, when we beat the English in one particular year and we broke the Calcutta Cup, didn't we? That's the idea, grabbing hold of the prize of victory. Now, Paul's saying that as we're running along, like in a running race, we're not to be distracted. Verse 13, he says, forget what's behind. Easy to get distracted in a race. When Usain Bolt is running towards the line, or when he used to run towards the line, he's not looking around and waving at his mum in the crowd, is he? Eyes focused, fixed towards the goal. That's where he's headed, and he's not distracted. Finally, Paul uses the word, verse 14, goal. It was used of a marker stone that indicated the end of a running race in Roman times. And he uses the word prize in verse 14. It's what's awarded to those who win. So if you're not exhausted by all that talk of running around, what does that mean for us this morning? Well, Paul is saying that the hope of Christ's return provides a focus for our life and all that we're going through. It means that we're living and running a particular direction. We've got somewhere to go, somewhere we are heading. We've got a finish line in sight. Christ's return is the thing that we're to be running after and looking to grab hold of. It's the thing we want more than anything. Christ's return is the goal that we're moving towards, the finish line which we have our eyes on. It's the prize we're looking to get our hands on. His return is the moment that we're stretching intently towards. When you're running, you can't run in two directions. Maybe you can. I I, I can't. I've only got one body. It only goes one way. You've got to pick a direction you're going in life, folks. We need to be aiming for this. We need to be longing for Christ's return. We need to make sure our eyes are fixed on the finish line. And we need to make sure we're not distracted. Because, of course, there's plenty of things in this world, aren't they, that distract us and encourage us to take our eyes off him. There's plenty of other goals and prizes on offer in the shopping window of life in our culture that seem attractive. And you know the thing is, when you're going through difficulty and trouble, these are the things that look shiniest and best, don't they? Here's a way out. Here's another way that I can go and live. Here's something else that I can aim towards that will make me happy, make me fulfilled, get me out of this. But we're to keep our eyes on Jesus and his return. That's the prize. That's the goal. Nothing compares to what God offers us in Jesus and what's promised when he returns. But just in case we think that with all this talk of running and striving and grabbing, that it all depends on us, Paul gives us a corrective that it doesn't depend upon our effort. Paul says, listen, the only reason we get to line up in this race The only reason that these blessings await us when Christ returns is because, verse 14, God in Christ has called us heavenward. God's called us to himself. Verse 12, Christ took hold of me. Always when it comes to the gospel, God's the one that takes the initiative first. He's the one that always makes the first move. Everything we do in our lives is only ever a response to this. 
That should have us wiping our brows. Because we couldn't attain any of this by ourselves. It's all gift. So all our running, all our straining, all the effort we are putting in is just about sticking to the path that God's already opened up for us in Jesus. It's about staying on the course that he has made possible so that we can win the prize, which is already ours in Jesus. We don't earn any of this, folks. It's all gift. God has done everything we need through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're passing through difficulties and we're looking forward to this and it looks a long way off and you think, how am I ever going to get there? Our confidence is not only that that's where we're going and that's what's coming down the road, is that God himself is the one that's working in our lives to get us there. Remember what he said back in Philippians 1 verse 6, he says, I pray with joy, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. God's begun working in our lives. He's going to keep working in our lives to take us to that moment. So while we need to keep focusing on it and we need to put effort into it, he's already provided it and he is doing everything in our lives to take us there. So there you go, pressing on toward the goal. But secondly, living up to what we've already attained. The sporting world is full of people who have followed in their famous parents' footsteps. We had a great example in Scotland here over the summer with Ailish McGolgan, didn't we? Gold in the 10,000 metres in the Commonwealth Games, just like her mum Liz. And last month, uh, running in Glasgow, a new British record... Or it would have been. <laughs> it would have been. Apparently the course is 150 metres too short and she were going to have to wait. But she brought, her mum broke the record. She, she, she broke the record. 150 metres too short. So we'll get there. But it's not a surprise that professional athletes are somehow able to raise other professional athletes. There's natural ability, yes, but the making of a champion has to do with following in the footsteps of someone who already knows how to succeed. And Paul in verses 15 to 19 talks about following in the footsteps of others, about examples to follow. And you'd be glad to know the language slows down. We're not running anymore. We're just walking. Phew, nice to take a breather. Because the word living, which is used in verses 16, 17 and 18, literally means to walk. Because in biblical thinking, living is not about biological life. It's about walking in a particular path. It's about choosing the direction that you're going to live in life. Are we going to walk in life? It's about living a particular walk and going in a particular destination. And our living, our walking as Christians, is in a particular direction with a particular destination, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells the Philippians in verse 15 that living our lives focused on the return of the Lord Jesus, that's a mark of maturity. It shows that we're growing as Christians and that, that we understand that that's where we're going. He says in verse 16, you've already attained so much. You've already, through coming to know Jesus, developed so much as Christians. But then he says, you need to keep going. <laughs> you need to keep living out your faith despite what you were passing through. So Paul points them towards his own example and the example of others who'd lived in the same way that he did in verse 17. And in so much of this personal letter which Paul is writing from prison, he has a particular example from his own life and from the life of Christ that he's pointing to. 
He speaks of enduring suffering for Christ and of his hope of resurrection. And when Paul is doing this, of course, he's pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ in whose footsteps we all follow. Throughout his letter to the Philippians, he is pointing us to the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was the pattern of the Lord? Well, the Lord suffered when he was on earth. And then he was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven where he was glorified. And our path, says Paul, is the same. We suffer in this world. But we're looking forward to resurrection and then glory. If you think back in Philippians as you've been going through, it's there in chapter 1 as Paul's languishing in a prison cell. And he says, I'm suffering here for the Lord. And I just long to be with him. But I know I have to go through this before I get to the resurrection. In chapter 2, in that amazing Christ hymn, he speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ humbling himself even to death and then experiencing resurrection and then glory. And in the passage in the first part of chapter 3 you read two weeks ago, Paul speaks about sharing in Christ's resurrection, but he knows he's not going to share in the resurrection until he goes in the first part of the journey, which is sharing in Christ's suffering. It's normal, says Paul, to experience suffering as a Christian, to pass through difficult and challenging times. I know that's not a welcome message. It's not the first thing we put up when we tell someone about Jesus. Say, do you want to sign up for some suffering? And yet it's the reality. Because that's the path the Lord went. And that's who we're following. And after Jesus suffered, he was raised from the dead and entered glory in heaven. And because we are following Jesus, because we are following and walking in the same path that he walked, our suffering folks will also give way to resurrection and glory. But there's a danger as Paul outlines all of this, he says, because there's other examples and patterns, other ways to live. Just as there are other goals and other prizes out there, there's other people saying, listen, you don't need to live a life of suffering. You can live a life of pleasure. Paul speaks about these people in verse 18. He says, these are people who instead of following a life based on the cross of Christ, they're living as enemies of Christ, he says. Consider the way that that path takes you, he says. To live in such a way as to focus entirely on earthly things, verse 18, rather than focus on heaven. And the outcome of the path disastrously and going that way and choosing not to suffer and choosing to go the way of pleasure, says Paul in verse 19, is not salvation, it's destruction. Such a way of living can't possibly compare to the wonder of what God promises us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So says Paul, this is the direction we're going. Going through suffering, yes, but resurrection and glory is ahead. So he says, hang to them and to us, hang on to your faith in the difficult days. Ours is a cruciform faith. We follow Jesus. This involves suffering, yes, but resurrection and glory are ahead. So Paul says, keep your eyes on what's ahead. Keep your chin up. Keep looking at Jesus and keep following him. But finally, after these difficult passages, let's turn now to our last two verses in verses 20 to 21 and talk about eagerly awaiting Jesus. In contrast to those whose mind is on earthly things, Paul says, verse 20, our citizenship is 
is in heaven. Now, I think you'll have been lucky to avoid at this point of going through Philippians, if you've been here every week, <laughs> to avoid the fact that Philippi was a Roman colony. And the people there were therefore Roman citizens. And their citizenship of Rome was a thing they valued greatly. It gave them huge rights within this massive Roman empire. And it put them right on the front row as, as Roman citizens. And yet the irony is that their suffering was directly as a result of the all-powerful Roman Empire, which opposed their faith in Jesus Christ. And at the head of this empire was the emperor, who, among other titles that he took to himself, was the title Lord and the title Savior. Paul says to them in these verses, look, there's another kingdom and there's another king, one who is truly Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And his kingdom is altogether more enduring and lasting than the temporary empire and the temporary Caesar who is opposing you. Paul writes in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes from heaven to earth, he'll put all things right he will judge all that is wrong. That is the great reality that shapes history. It's Jesus. His story is the thing that shapes all of history, despite the empires that come and the empires that go. Verse 21, when Jesus comes, says Paul, he will transform our lowly bodies. The word lowly means humiliation. It points to Christ. It's the same word that's used in chapter 2 when it talks about Christ humbling himself and what he suffered for us. But our lowly bodies also speaks too of all that we have suffered on this earth. All we have had to endure in this earthly life. Paul writes, he'll transform our lowly bodies so that they will look like his glorious body. The promise of resurrection, of new life, of the completion of the good work that God has begun in us. Paul says in verse 21 that Jesus is sovereign. When he returns, he does so, says Paul, verse 21, with the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Paul is telling the Philippians that all things are subject to Jesus and his power, even their Lord and Savior, the emperor, who just seems so powerful at the moment. God is in control of all things, says Paul. Nothing can stand against his power. And as Paul proclaims in Philippians 2, verses 10 to 11, we're moving towards that moment in time when at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the goal to which we're striving. That's the prize we've set our hearts on. This is what's ahead for us. And as for the Philippians, so for us, these truths should transform our present because we long we eagerly await Jesus, our Lord and Savior, to come back. And as we wait, we may have to suffer and endure much. But we wait knowing that Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he will set all things right. We wait, even though we suffer, and we know that when Jesus returns, our bodies will be transformed. Our humiliation our suffering will come to an end. We will experience resurrection, the renewal of our bodies, eternal glory. And while we might have to suffer here for a time, what is ahead of us will last forever. It's a great trade-off, isn't it? Suffering here for a time, it does seem sometimes the things that we go through in life that we're going through forever. 
but they last for a finite time and we will experience resurrection and eternity forever. But we live our lives confident of this truth and with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we endure suffering because of the glory to come. And until then, we face our sufferings, not on our own, but with the presence of God in our lives and the power of God in our lives because God's given us the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. He says that God has put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Our faith is already and not yet. God is working in power in our lives right now through the Holy Spirit. And every time we experience the Spirit's power in our lives and our circumstances, it's a reminder that this is just the down payment, the deposit of everything to come. And it's also a guarantee that it is surely coming. And Jesus reigns. Do you believe that in your circumstances today? Sometimes that's hard to believe that Jesus is in control, isn't it? But he is Lord in heaven right now. And whatever we are facing today, whatever difficulties, whatever our circumstances, the Lord Jesus is greater and mightier than them. We look at the world differently from other people, don't we? Because we believe that God is in control of all things and that absolutely nothing can stop his plans and his purposes, the plans and purposes he has for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we suffer, we cast ourselves into the Lord's loving care, knowing Jesus is with us and for us and trusting that he is in control and he is sovereign. So there you go. Pressing on towards the goal, living up to what we've already attained, eagerly awaiting Jesus. As we pass through difficulty, what is sustaining us as we go through those troubles? And what is it that's giving us hope for the future? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Have we set our hearts and minds and lives on Jesus and his return, on following Jesus through suffering and then resurrection and glory? Or is it possible that despite putting our faith in Jesus, we become disorientated either through the pain we're experiencing or because of our pursuit of pleasure? Could it be that we've lost our focus on the Lord, lost sight of his example and what he went through and lost our hope? In his return, which is the only thing that's going to sustain us through this life. Jesus came into this world to die on a cross. To take the punishment for our sins. God raised Jesus from the dead. He ascended into heaven and from there sent the Holy Spirit. Through Jesus we can know God and through the Spirit's power in our lives. We know forgiveness and healing and transformation. But that's not the end of the story. What God has done for us in Jesus and what we receive now is wonderful and extraordinary. But as Christians, we live in confident hope that there is much, much more to come. The best is yet to come. Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus returns, then we will finally and fully know the Lord Jesus Christ and all that Jesus died to give us. As Christians, we are to live with our hearts and minds and lives set on that wonderful day. Our present circumstances transformed by the hope of this glorious future. Let's pray together.
our loving Lord Jesus Christ, some of us are really going through the mill this morning. You know our circumstances because you made us and you love us and you know what we're passing through. And we put our trust and we put our faith in you. But sometimes, Lord, the days are difficult to get through and we don't know how we're going to get through. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement of your story, Lord Jesus Christ, that you suffered. And so when we are passing through suffering, we can look to you as a God who's not far away, up in a spaceship or something, but a God who was here. A God who knows what it's like to walk this path on earth and pass through difficult times. Help us, Lord Jesus Christ, to follow in your example, trusting and believing in you regardless of what we're going through, knowing that you're with us in our circumstances. And as we go through suffering and difficulty, we realize that we are passing in your path, walking in your footsteps. Help us to keep our eyes on you, Jesus, through the difficulties of life. Help us, too, to remember all that you died to give us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are no longer in a grave. You're ascended at your right hand of the Father. And thank you, Jesus, that you're coming back and you're coming back soon. Lord, we long for that day. We eagerly await you, Jesus. Because everything that we have suffered and gone through in this earth will pale into significance to what you have given us and what will be ours in the day that you come. Help us to trust in you and to keep our eyes focused on that goal and that prize. And Lord, would you pour out your Holy Spirit into our lives, working in our circumstances today as we pray to you and long for you to answer, knowing that every time we experience your work, Holy Spirit, in our lives, it's a foretaste of what's to come. And it's also a reminder that you're guaranteeing that one day soon we'll be with you face to face experiencing the eternal life which you promised us in Jesus. Lord, encourage our hearts and minds today as we walk through this week. In Jesus' name, amen.